Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. As Chris Estrada left a troubled lifestyle to pursue God, he realized he could not do it alone, and neither can you. It is through becoming part of something bigger than ourselves and linking together that the Lord can bring transformational impact in cities and nations. A church that serves is irresistible, but a church that solves problems is irreplaceable. Listen as Chris and Doug discuss the principles and power of relational equity that can engage the culture around us with truth, grace, and purpose to see real change. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service where you will also find our show notes. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Chris, great to have you with us today. Hey, thank you so much, Doug. And I'll be honest with you, I'm absolutely humbled to be a part of this incredible vision, One Day Houston. And I say that because I get to be around people that I've admired and respected from a distance for so long, even as a college student, and now getting to run so close. And it's nice when the man and the message are the same. And I've always appreciated that about somebody cares about you and your family. And now working close on this incredible vision together, you you were really one of the first um, early adopters into it. And uh, it's just a tremendous honor and, and humbled. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out a little bit more about your story and how that kind of blends into what we're going to see happen in Houston and beyond. We first met, you said you were at Christ for the Nations at the time, and I was there speaking for preparation for the call Texas, which was going to be at the Cotton Bowl. And right now it's freezing cold in Dallas, and that's exactly (laughs) how it was at the Cotton Bowl when we facilitated that. Tell me a little bit about your journey from that place of being at youth camp to where you ended up in Dallas and at Bible school and what you're doing now. You know, it's so funny because I never saw myself doing what I'm doing now. Can we just all stop a moment? I think there was a lot of us that had our plans and then the Lord redirected our paths. And that's exactly what happened. I was really, I grew up in a, obviously a split family. And the only way that I saw being able to even get out of the neighborhood or the environment I was growing up in was to get a, uh, an athletic scholarship. And I was playing heavy basketball and focused on that. And, and I even said many times, basketball is my life. It's my world. It's my way. And even if it was just the full ride to college, it meant a gateway into something more sustainable than just what I've now watched a lot of my friends who have turned to drug dealers, drunkards, dead or incarcerated. So I wanted to break the mold. And I never wanted to be that, but it was just so difficult. And I, I went to church and um, uh, for some reason, I ended up at a gym at this church that would open up its doors to the gym before youth service and then they get everybody in service. Well, I would never stay. I would, you know, dip and leave and find somewhere else to play. But the youth pastor, they got involved in my life. And one day he invited me. He said, hey, do you want to go to church camp? Now, Doug, honest to God, I had no idea what this was. OK, so he said, hey, do you want to go to church camp? And I said, there'll be hot girls at this camp. Is there going to be five women at this camp? You know, I was a six-year-old little pervert. I had no idea what I was saying. And um, he said, well, we're going to go for Jesus. And so I said, I said, man, you go for Jesus. I'm going to go and get some phone numbers. But just like you heard on the first night, I got saved. I got filled with the Spirit. And I got called into ministry all in one night. And 
after that moment, I was absolutely ruined. I was ruined for normal. I was ruined for average. I was ruined for mediocre. And the Lord really spoke to me and said, I've called you into ministry. And I laid down everything, scholarship opportunities, recruitment letters, um, even D2, D1 looks that I was starting to get as a junior. Um, I laid it all down, scared my, or scared my dad, made my mom mad. Um, but at the same time, I knew that I was in the will of God. And that's how I ended up at CFNI. And in my second, uh, I believe it was my second semester, you were staying on stage and you were talking about uh, it's time to cross the Jordan, which is just a prophetic message about, I, I think it's timeless to be honest in so many different ways. Um, Cause I have both copies. I have the copy that had literally uh, the twin towers on it before we had that horrific disaster. And then I also have the copy that you've given me when I was in your office. So I have both of them next to each other on my bookshelf. Um, but I, I remember being moved by it. And I remember the call and I remember watching churches come together. I remember watching unity be this force multiplier in the earth that came on the church. And there was a unique favor and power and anointing. And I said, man, did I really want that to be on my life. I don't know how that's going to look, but I really want to carry that mantle uh, in my life. And, and, and here we are. Wow. And what year was that that you were at Christ for the Nations? 2003. Was that prior to we did the call in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl? Yeah, you. we were doing, a, I think you guys were doing a lot of rally moments uh, to pull people into uh, the sacred space of that Cotton Bowl for that day. So you ended up giving up any potential for scholarships and found yourself in Bible school. Obviously, the direction of your life had taken a radical turn. Looking at your bio from drugs and partying and lust and everything else that comes with that, because I can relate to that. That was my life. And in giving up a potential of going to school and doing sports in school myself, and yet found myself in doing something today I would have never planned for myself. But in God's providence and divine order for you, look at the impact that your life is having through the ministries that you impact and influence and have for yourself is going all over the world. So tell me a little bit about how you went from the Bible school into what you're doing now. And of course, your ministry, which is Chris Estrada Ministries, and you and your wife are doing some incredible things, as well as as your consulting companies, you're in consulting ministries and doing uh, one-day events. The truth is, is as we journeyed, I quickly recognized I couldn't do any of this alone. And relationship has always been a high priority for my wife and I. And we just never wanted to do it out of function. We never wanted to do ministry or calling out of function. We wanted to do it out of family. And we were fortunate enough to get, a, get plugged into an incredible church, just a little storefront church that really uh, emphasized that. And as a result, we ended up being sent out as missionaries to the nation of Sri Lanka. And again... Wow. Uh, this is 40 miles south of India. This is in the middle of a civil war. This is mortar shells blown up down the road from my house. Suicide bombers clocking off the vests we were staying in in hotels. I mean, it was pure chaos. But in the middle of all of that craziness, we were seeing daily salvation, signs and wonders, healings and miracles, breakthrough, alignment. But we stayed focused with one church and really contributed a lot more than we did around the island to that. So now that church has blossomed into, 
I don't even know how many campuses they have both on the nation, on the island of Sri Lanka, and then, of course, in other parts of the world. And, you know, when we left Sri Lanka, we just knew we were, that was kind of a furnace of training. And we came back and we just had a sweeping revival come through our youth and young adult movement to where, again, we were just beginning to uh, activate these risk takers, these pioneers, uh, not fast followers, but progressive leaders, if you will. And, um, and students begin to take spiritual responsibility of their sphere of ownership and leadership and influence. And we were seeing so much harvest that we were scaling really fast. And that's not the only measurement of quality ministry, but it's definitely a sign that our net is strong. We can hold in um, this many people and we can disciple this at the same time, which is a huge emphasis for my wife and I. But you know, we say Chris Estrada Ministries, but the truth is I just knew that was never going to be enough. And 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 I I knew that what we were doing was not going to be just, I wasn't going to be the result. I think as a young minister, I thought I would be the result of a third grade awakening. I would be the Jonathan Edwards, you know, I, I would be the William J. Seymour. I would, you know, and then I kind of got humbled and started realizing God's got a greater playbook right now. And it's about unity. And so um, that's when I got a phone call from Christ for the Nations. And they said, would you come to our campus in Dallas? And would you begin to raise up the kind of leaders we're seeing come out of your youth movement? Because we were sending a lot of students uh, to that school. And, um, you know, as we started journey at CFNI, we quickly realized that the landscape of church, we had been, we had never been exposed to that much diversity in one drop, if you will. I mean, the campus has 70 different nations represented on it at any time. Um, there's every denomination. There's, there's every type of stream, preference, style on the campus. And it really gave us a framework for global impact um, as we led at Christ for the Nations. And then, of course, as we took over and led Youth for the Nations, we had thousands of kids coming every summer from around the world that would just be encountered by God and be sent back um, out of a word, Isaiah 49, 2, that he's hitting me like a choice arrow in his quiver. And, and those were the markers that we felt like God's adding something here, but we don't feel yet completed. What does, what is this building into? And it was pretty, pretty amazing uh, to be a part of, but in that journey, Doug, we, we came across an incredible relationship with one of the exec team members at Missions Me. And that was Jedediah Thurner, which you have met Jed. Anyone that meets Jed just knows you're going to have a good time. He's an incredible person, fun to be with. And, um, but we instantly felt, you know, when the, when, when, when uh, Mary ran to Martha and the baby leaped, both of our babies were leaping. <laughs> and it just felt like, I feel like I found a long lost family member and I don't know why. And it's not just because I'm, I'm charismatic and he is too. And we both have big personalities. No, this is something that's sacred. This is something that's holy. And, um, and that began the journey to me uh, beginning to carry the vision uh, of missions, me and uh, one nation one day. And now our domestic approach to America with the one day uh, vision. Something you said that resonated. I want you to kind of maybe come back to that for a moment when you said that you felt, you know, like at first you're like, I'm going to be that 
revivalist. I'm going to be that person. I was processing over the years that in the first coming of Christ, John the Baptist was the forerunner. It was an individual preparing the way. But I've really sensed that we're coming into that season where God is raising up a multi-generational corporate call to prepare the way. So the first time it was John the Baptist, that prophetic mantle to prepare the way. But I see the Acts 2, Joel 2, Psalm 110, verse 2 and 3, that for the day of his power, there should be an army of volunteers from the womb and to the youth. So I'm just sensing this is that moment where we will see an exponential outpouring, and it will be an army of volunteers preparing the way for revival and ultimately the coming of the Lord. What do you sense about that? You know what? I can't, I, I can't agree enough. I think um, the season of us laying down our labels, our logos, and our egos is upon us. I think it's not about a man or a band. It's about a mandate and a mantle. It's not about the person. It's about the purpose. I mean, I can preach this thing, as you can tell, all the way through. But I was absolutely humbled because I recognized that there are unique giftings God's put on the earth. And what uh, Doug Stringer does at Somebody Cares, I- I'm not built to do. I'm built to do pieces and, and, and slivers of it, but the full picture of what that is, is totally different than what pastor might do, what an apostle might do, what this prophetic voice might do. And and I was really appreciative of my season uh, at Christ for the Nations and in ministry. I'm grateful, Doug, be honest with you. I'm grateful. I learned these before I ever learned to preach. Mm. I was discipled well, and I can, I don't know how many people can confidently say that, but I was, I was taught to value the unique graces on the earth. I was taught to look on someone, not just as competition, but as covenant relationship worthy. I I was, I always wanted to trend my life along the lines of, I will partner with anyone to do good and partner with no one to do bad. uh, The old Frederick Douglass quote. And so I think there's a lot of young leaders and and I'm just going to say this as a young leader. I think there's a lot of young leaders we are not that cool. And we are, there's this crazy pressure to be relevant right now. And I, I don't think relevance necessarily means uh, um, results. I, if you look at John the Baptist, like you were talking about, John the Baptist had no fashion sense. The guy had no filter over his mouth. I mean, this guy's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, eating wild honey and locusts. And then you've got to remember John the Baptist is a pastor's kid who's telling the priests of the day, who you brood of vipers, who warned you of the coming judgment that's to come? I mean, you got to remember, he's a pastor's kid. These are all his dad's friends that he is saying this to. And you, you understand, he was not focused or concerned about being relevant. He was concerned about being reliable to heaven. And mm. I think that the, as a young leader, again, there's this crazy pressure to be relevant, but when Jesus comes back, he's going to ask, did I find faithfulness on the earth? He, he's going to look and search our hearts. I mean, there is a famous seat we're going to stand in front of, and there is a building of wood, hay, and straw, and then there is a building of uh, gold, silver, and precious stones, and I want my reward to be right. You know, I want it to be uh, 100% what he wanted to be, and I want to tell young leaders that are listening to this that it does. I, 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 don't rem, I don't know how many students have come up to me and said, 
I remember the car ride. I remember the conversation at the coffee shop. I remember the phone call you answered. Uh, they remember all of that, but they don't remember what I wore. They don't remember uh, what message, even what messages I preach, which frustrates me as a pastor, Doug, because I mean, I don't know anybody else, but I've prepared messages for one person before. Like I just knew if they would hear this message, they would, there would be such a release of freedom on their life. It would be phenomenal. And then that person didn't even show up to church. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> only God could create these kind of scenarios. But, you know, the truth is, is that I, I, I was done being trying to outshine, outgrind, outlast, outbuild everyone around me. And I really started praying, Lord, my prayer shifted to Lord, promote me to Lord, where do you need me? Mm. It, you know, because I was offered a lot of opportunity at Christ for the Nations. I was also offered multiple churches around the world. I mean, I'm talking churches with multi-campuses, with global influence from Perth, Australia. I mean, everywhere. And I just, it didn't sit well with me because my prayer had shifted. It had completely altered. And I said, Lord, where could I make the most kingdom impact that you would be happy with? Not what's the right career move, not what I can run into and grow and know that I could win at, but where could I cause the kingdom to have such a win? Or, Lord, where do you need me to be such a progressive leader that I am the first one through the door, first man through the wall, and all I did was make a mess, but I beat a path. And then someone else can come and clean. I, I was just no longer uh, uh, worried about what platforms I was standing on, what kind of book deals I was getting, um, what kind of relationships, who I was connected to. I, I, I died to that. And I want to tell young leaders, you don't have to live under that pressure. If you will just focus on being reliable, if you just focus on being faithful, I promise you, not only will all that stuff come in its time, you won't even care about it because what would matter to you is servicing the kingdom of heaven at such a high capacity that you wouldn't sell out to these low grade variations of what destiny fulfilled looks like. That's good. In my generation, there was a well-known, in fact, he's in the Music Hall of Fame, Will McFarland. He used to play guitar for Bonnie Raitt, Jackson Brown, Pointer Sisters. He still sought out his guitarist, but he got radically saved. He used to say you can be anointed and cool at the same time. So I think that you have exhibited that and the fact that not that you're trying to be cool, but it's not like you don't, you are relevant, but yet you don't have, you're not impressed with trying to be relevant or you're not impressed with celebrity, even in the Christian world, but you respect and honor uh, the foundations that have been laid and, and the price has been paid. And so you've built on those for all of us though, because with all the successes that God has allotted you by his providence, do you find that many of the people that you've worked with that struggle through trying to find that place of affirmation and approval, acceptance, that their own identity, that a part of it is that they've not learned that we don't have to be the victim, that we are victorious because we serve the victor. And so many times I find people that allow their weaknesses or feel like they're the victim all the time to inhibit them or even limit them from becoming all that God wants them to be. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot that said, well, because Doug is at this place and he was this age when he got there, I should be there. That's my, now that's my goal. That's my measuring stick of success. And we, in some cases, set ourselves up for failure before we even recognize it. And, and I, I am, the only reason I speak to it so clearly is because I did it and I'm embarrassed 
at the amount of times that I looked at what success was and how skewed um, or, or how, um, how small it was. I, I think many times my prayers weren't off. Uh, they were just too small. Mm-hmm. And if I could say it like that. And so absolutely, I think one of the things that God did um, in my life, Doug, if I would just be completely honest, let me just be candid, is God in some way kept me hidden. Mm-hmm. And there's something about staying hidden. And I think a lot, especially again, going back to this cultural res- uh, pressure to be in the spotlight, to, 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 to have the clout, to have the flex, to, to have the influence. Um, I have found that hiddenness is actually much more productive than visibility. Um, it's because I've stayed quiet on certain things. It's because, and not, not things that matter, but I'm talking about opinions, soapboxes, talking points that lead to nothing but more disagreement because there will never be anything until we're in heaven and we can see the full battle plan of God, the full plan, the full master plan, if you will. But I've stayed quiet. I've stayed hidden. I've not tried to outproduce my coverage. You know, I've celebrated others. I've promoted others. I've platformed others. I've created doors and opportunities for others and still continue to do that. And I I got a lot of those lessons from hiddenness. I, I think you know, there's something unique. Hiddenness kills all those victim mentalities, all those insecurities. It, it comes against all of those places that you think matter. And all of a sudden, hiddenness just shows you what the value is and, and, and what you thought you were never succeeding in. You actually were dominating in the eyes of heaven. But because you were hidden, nobody else was necessarily celebrating it. You know, I, I made a reference to um, the uh, judgment seat of Christ, like we read about in First Corinthians chapter three. And you look at the wood, the hay, and the straw, and then you look at gold, silver, and precious jewels. And I'm just reminded all of a sudden that wood, hay, and straw is very visible. It's you can easily notice, but gold, silver, and precious jewels—those are hidden. Mm. You have to dig for those, and I think that is what God is emphasizing. It's not just doing things in secret and, and making sure, but it's being okay with never being thanked this side of eternity. And let me just speak to those who have been given unfair situations. Uh, it was unfair the way the board treated you. It was unfair the way uh, pastor so-and-so handled that situation. It was unfair the way that family blamed you, even though you did nothing. It was unfair. It was unfair. But my Bible says that we, Paul said this in Romans, he said, I can't even fathom the glory that is to come compared to the, the one that we're in right now. Or he said, um, if we live with him now, we will rule with him then. In other words, let me say it like this, that if it's not getting fixed right now and you still feel those victim tendencies coming up, if it's not getting fixed on this side of eternity, that just means you're going to get a greater reward on the next one. Mm. And so even when you're losing, losing, quote unquote, losing, you're not losing. And, and I want to encourage leaders that God is watching over your life and he's watching over the word he's put on your life to perform the prophetic destiny that's on your life. Yeah, that's so good. It reminds me of when I was in my 20s and God had called me into the ministry. It wasn't something I sought, but it happened. And throughout the years, very visible platforms and hidden platforms. And I can tell you this, that 
you it ebbs and flows, you know, movements come and go, successes come and go, but we need to be consistent. And it's in that hidden place you're talking about that we need to stay true to. But I remember a, a very well-known pastor was, you know, really uh, digging at me and, and they were saying things about me. And there was another citywide youth pastor that I didn't realize then where there was some envy. And so he was saying things about me and, and just anyway, I want to get into the whole story. I ended up on a national television show. And when I get to the green room, I find out that the person that is co-hosting that day as a guest host was this pastor that was really giving me a hard time. And I was going, oh my gosh, what do I do here, Lord? And, and the Lord just spoke clearly to me as I humbled myself in that green room. The Lord said, that happened five years ago. And have you changed in five years? I said, mm. have you needed the grace in your life over these five years to be different? Yes. So why would you hold him back to five years ago? Mm. There has been a work of grace in him through these last five years too. So always give grace because we need grace every day. When I was called up for my session on that program, the first thing he did, he and his wife said, Doug, I am so glad that you did not do what I told you to do in the sense that you weren't rebellious, but but you felt a direction of calling. I tried to bring you into my arena and you didn't feel comfortable with that, but I'm glad you listened to God and not to man. And he said, it's like the older prophet you know, and the younger prophet. The thing is, you you wanted to respect the older, but you had to go with what God was telling you to do. And I'm glad you did. I thought, wow, God. So we became close after that. The Lord just spoke very clearly, give the grace to others. Don't hold them to where they were, just like you don't want to be held to where you were either. It's so true. And again, it's I'm, I'm taking notes right now because I'm like, man, I, I, I need to think back to five years. Am I holding somebody down? Uh, five years past because I don't want to. We've got too much ground to take uh, in this day and we can't afford to lose more people. We can't afford to lose people to disappointment, discouragement. Uh, We can't afford to lose people uh, to scandal uh, and and lack of character. We can't afford to lose people uh, to the wrong positions. Uh, Imagine a quarterback playing the offensive line position rather than quarterbacking. And I feel like you know, there are some people who've never felt like they could move out in faith into their full destiny for fear of one thing or the next. And, and so I just appreciate um, that level of transparency. I think there's a lot of leaders that are going to come into some great space of recognizing what God's put on their life. Amen. Everyone sees us on social media, or they read a book, or they see us and hear us preach. They see that as, wow, they've got it together. But the reality is, we're just a mess that needs the grace of God, right? And it's the privilege of calling. It's it's all about God. It really isn't about that we're anything. We don't arrive until we arrive in the presence of the Lord, but we all go through unexpected detours. And so for you, you've had a lot of successes because of God's favor on your life. But has there been times, and if anything specific that comes to mind, where you were met with an unexpected detour? No one sets out to fail. No one sets out to be disappointed. No one sets out to be disillusioned. But there are times we do, and it's what we do during those wilderness times that determines the expediting or postponing of entering into our promises. So has there been areas in your own life that you were met with unexpected detour? For me, I went through cancer a few years ago, and I didn't expect that, but God brought me through by the grace of God. There's other things that I've 
met unexpected detours as a leader. Just speak into that, how to get past those moments. And if there's anything you could share personally that uh, would encourage others. I think this is such a phenomenal question because I think a lot of times we always ask people about their home runs, but never when they struck out. And I, I promise you, I have a very low batting average. Um, you can ask my wife and my kids, and that's a fact. <laughs> um, but, you know, I look back on how I've handled, I think one of the challenging places for me, and I think in some cases, I wouldn't say right now, I feel like the Lord's brought me to a good place, but, you know, every now and then he's got to tweak something. But, man, I was really suspect towards everybody. I didn't trust people. And they had to like pretty much bleed themselves dry in order for me to trust them. And, and I, I recognize that that came from a wound and it mm. wasn't a wound that, that someone caused. It was, there was the starting point of that, but it was really self-inflicted. You know, I had mishandled uh, a very heavy situation. Uh, I pa- youth pastored at an incredible church and condensing a long story. I watched as my senior pastor lost his wife Mm. And I mean, it was unfortunate. She was an incredible woman. Uh, It was, she's a mother to the church. And not only that, but a mother to my wife and I, and they, they, there's a lot of things that they taught me that I'm still doing to this day. There's a lot of what I am right now uh, is, is coming through their discipleship and input even still, but he lost his wife unexpectedly. And Eventually, that led to all kinds of chaos, as you can imagine. Um, And I did not lead that relationship with my senior pastor well. I I thought my job was to come in and build uh, accountability and structure. And and I'm the youth pastor. And I'm telling this to my senior pastor. I mean, and, and he's probably recognizing my young enthusiasm. But... To this day, I'm believing God would would bring a full circle restoration uh, to that. I think, though, even though I saw some things that were happening in our church that caused the insecurity to flare, I never brought it before the Lord. Hmm. And I just thought, I've got enough experience. I've got enough drive and leadership and wit to be able to take care of this. And I didn't follow his leading and that I, I've lost those relationships. And I think on that and I go, man, Lord, I know that you're a big God and you'll bring it back around. I know that he will. And in some cases he's starting to. So I want to give some redeeming value to what I'm talking about. But transparently, it's been very hard for me to trust people because of the upbringing I've had, um, the ministry journey that I had. I mean, you're aware we've got, we work with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, from a lot of different preferences, from a lot of different political standpoints, from a lot of different ethnicities. I mean, there is so many gauntlets, hoops, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and fires I have to jump through. And I recognize now a little bit older, man, I wish I would have handled some of those relationships better. Even people that were under my leadership, um, I felt like I blew holes in, 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 in my enthusiasm, my passion. And I didn't quite care for where they were at. I didn't give care to what they were feeling or sensing. Uh, and, and this is not because I was a demanding boss. It was just like, I was so driven that I was tripping over the bodies that I was blowing holes in. 
Mm. And relationships has always been that. You know what? The relationship that I've, the relationship face has always been the greatest challenge. Um, and I've, I've had to bring it before God. I've had to have guys speak into my life. I've had to have some real intervention, if you will. Um, and hopefully I'm doing a better job at being honoring and trusting and navigating. And, and I don't know, but I don't think we talk about this enough as pastors and leaders uh, about the, the handling of relationships and trust. And so um, I think God's brought me to a great place where I am able to work with a spectrum of believers and non-believers, faith-based, non-faith-based, in the political sphere, in the business sphere, in the entertainment industry, all the way into the church. And, and I'm fortunate enough to have some incredible men around me uh, that have the same heart and drive. And uh, although my journey is unique, the strengths on their life have helped heal a lot of what was broken inside of me. Yeah, there is a former pastor who was on my staff, had been in a denominational leader and youth leader and had seen a lot, but he felt led to lay everything down and come sit at my table, so to speak, for a couple of years and just began to just to sit and learn and grow and just hang out at my office and then get, got involved in different things we were doing nationally. He's a successful business leader now. I overheard him speaking to a group of other leaders one time to speak into what you just said. I overheard him say, well, Doug's not going to go for it if it's not relational because he believes that the kingdom of God is built on relationships, first with God, then with one another. If you're asking him to go against his DNA and believe that it's about relationship, he's not going to go for it. And I thought, what a great compliment, because that is something I've determined. And even with my own family, I say, you know, we need to learn to always take the high road. We may not always agree with people, but my job is not to project my personal consecration, but to live a life that God's called me to live, mm-hmm. to speak the truth and love, season it with grace, but speak the truth nonetheless, but to make sure that I remember others may, I may not. So my level of consecration is not judging or being critical. It's just saying that's not where God put me. My calling is to go deeper at a different level of consecration without being critical or self-righteous about it. And uh, so it actually helps me because when my wife says, you know, or someone else says, they've been using you or, you you know, over the last decades, you know, they just used you to get this or do that. And I said, well, that's okay. If I'm being used, but I know I'm being used, I'm not being used. I'm giving it away. <laughs> it releases any potential vexation in my heart and spirit so I can walk in that place of liberation in the Lord. And ultimately, it always comes full circle because God sees and God knows, right? Thank you for those things you're sharing because it's just drawing something out of the well that God's put in me as well to remind me of these things. Tell us a little bit about this exciting thing that's going to be happening in Houston called One Day Houston and the process that we've been walking through to get to where we're going, the dates, how people get involved, how they get more information. And then secondly, share whatever is on your heart to kind of capsulize our conversations today to leave that as an encouragement to those who will be listening to the podcast. We are absolutely thrilled about the runway that we've had with you um, and with others around the city. Um, When I remember coming and sitting in your office and just as more of a surveying scouting trip, it was just me and you. uh, And I said, um, and another person, and I said, um, I said, would, I said, what are your thoughts on 
a moment where we could unite the church for the salvation transformation of cities and nations. And I began to tell you what our international footprint looked like. And then I told you what we had just stepped out of uh, in Los Angeles with One Day LA. And I, I'll never forget, I remember saying, we don't want to do this unless we have the relationship uh, and the, the, the authority of the fathers and mothers of the region. And, and, and in one way or another, you said, that's exactly how we work here in Houston. There is, we are relationally driven. And, and that's, again, going back, we're family before function and everything that we do at Missions Me. And so we, we started with just this incredible dialogue that began to ideate around the needs. Uh, how could we meet the needs of the city? How could we activate the church in a fresh way? And, you know, there's some great progressive churches in Houston um, that are doing phenomenal things. And then we start thinking, what if we could take the grace on that church and put it on a hundred churches? I mean, the region would feel that. And so we've been on an 18 month journey of having the church be engaged with a vision that would call them into a historic day of outreach and then an unforgettable stadium moment that would lead to an eternal decision of people surrendering their lives to Jesus. And as a result of this effort from our whole team, and we've got a team in California, we've got a team in Houston, I'm in Texas, we've got people in the Carolinas, and we're all leaning into this moment. As a result, 1,800 churches and organizations have been touched by this vision. 400, almost 500 have been trained um, with long-term solution-driven initiatives. And we always say, um, we want to make the, a church that serves is irresistible, but a church that solves problems is irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. And our job is to platform the local church, not ask the local church to platform us. And we've historically have never, we've never advertised our names on anything. We've never put a Chris or a Dominic Russo or a Jedediah Third. We've never put our names on all of that simply because we wanted the local church to get the credit for what was taking place in their city because the local church is the most sustainable vehicle of any sphere of society. Uh, it, it's not education. It's not politics. It's not business. It's not business. It's the local church. And so we have been heavy, obviously, as you know, working, activating that. Out of that four or 500 that have been trained, 200 have been trained just in families in crisis. And then the city and the region is going to feel this almost immediately, but definitely for decades. And we are incredibly humbled that we get to be in the Toyota Center April 29th and 30th, uh, two nights of incredible, uh, an un, a world-class, unlike you've ever seen, gathering of artists, influencers, leaders, voices, and this army of faith-based, and believe it or not, non-faith-based people that are going to be in this moment and are all going to hear about Jesus and what he's done. Let's touch on that because it's important that we talk about revival and awakening. We need to engage the culture so Absolutely. they come into the environment of the presence of God that their lives would be transformed. 100%. You know, when we went into Los Angeles, this give everybody kind of a framework of what this looks like. We went into LA and we went to Los Angeles when the Lord told us to. This was end of 2018. And he said, I'm going to make an aggressive move on America. We said, Lord, where do you want to start? He said, Los Angeles. We said, surely you mean Dallas. 
surely you mean Tulsa, you know, somewhere Bible friendly, ministry saturated, not hostile, perhaps the things of God. But we didn't realize the harvest field that was actually in L.A. We put a date, July 2020, of course, three months before that, uh, four months before that, excuse me, everything went into chaotic, unprecedented moments and situations. We stepped into a global climate like we've never seen. Um, but the Lord said, I'm going to give you keys that will unlock the city. And so he says, start by uniting the church. We united the church. We started to emphasize the, the importance, the irreplaceability, if you will, of the local church and started doing food distribution. If you remember, this is COVID. This is families aren't feeding their babies. Kids are only eating at schools. Now they're starving. So the church was responding and uh, reposition itself in a way of, of acts of service and leadership and serving. Um, then we went into foster care. I'm sorry, back up. We went into uh, paying off medical debt. And in 12 months, we were able to dissolve $47 million worth of medical debt. Then we went into foster care and we generated thousands of leads in the largest foster care system in America that's going to be felt uh, for years and years to come. That today, 161 churches are still running that play. And the Los Angeles Board of Supervisors, which is their city council, have now created space uh, and strategy on how to include faith-based organizations. They had never tapped the shoulder of the local church, and now they are. We planted a church in all 35 state penitentiaries. I mean, we did an all-call for men because everybody knows this. The problem cycle begins in fatherlessness, and we need our families back. And if we're going to get our families back, we have to get our fathers back. And if we're going to get our fathers back, then you know this, we've got to get men into authentic manhood and fatherhood. And so we had a historic gathering and between the in-person and online audience, we had a hundred thousand men sign up to do a 30 day brave co manhood challenge, which was special and sacred. Uh, and then we culminated in the SoFi stadium. And there's so much story to be told here. I'm not even doing it justice, but you know, we went in 47 days uh, thinking, okay, we're good. We were going to the Memorial Coliseum, the iconic Olympic stadium. And then, because there was a neighboring stadium that had inked their contract when the rescheduling, we couldn't host. They were right next to each other. We couldn't host two stadium moments because we'd cause a traffic collapse across the city. And so we were like, what are we going to do? We've been a vision that's been cast in a stadium moment. What do we do? Well, a few hours later, we got a call from SoFi Stadium where they just played the Super Bowl and said, um, would you, we, we've seen the food distribution, the medical debt relief, the foster care, the everything that you've been doing to move the city and soften its heart. We want our name attached to it. Would you want this at SoFi? And we were absolutely blown away as they were meeting, you know, our, our modest ministry budget. And, and at the same time, uh, I think it was a day or two later that we got a call from some people who uh, helped co-found and lead this small music festival called Coachella. Uh, out in California, which is one of the biggest in the world, that said, we love what you're doing. Again, have seen so much. Want to come beside you. Can we run all your audio, visual, lighting, production, and streaming for you? And we were blown away by that level of favor. And just even now, we've enjoyed a great relationship with them as they're going to help us in Houston. Then they said, who's the lineup? And this is a part of what you just said, engaging culture. We recognize that Los Angeles was not going to show up for double award winners, Caleb artists, and the best in Christian music and media. We had to find tier one influencers, global icons who would uh, stand in their faith. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Who is a tier one influencer, a global voice that's a Christian? That's a short list. And who's not afraid to share their faith? That's an even shorter list. And who will do it with us? 
July 24th, 2021. Well, that could only be any, many, mighty Justin Bieber. And it was about 30 days, 31 days of journey. And I mean, we were weeks away with no talent, no lineup, no nothing. And we end up on a, uh, on a conversation with Justin to where he's saying, I'm going to come in. I want to partner with you. I want to use my influence to build this narrative of what God has been doing in Los Angeles through the local churches. Um, when you get someone who would be considered the Elvis, uh, the Michael Jackson of this generation who's saying, I'm going to use my influence to fill this stadium. Those are people who would never darken the door of a local church, but they would step foot in the stadium moment because Justin is going to share his faith narrative. And obviously Justin's not a pastor. He wasn't doing the message. He didn't preach the message. He didn't do the altar call, but he was a, he was an activator in a generation that said, you know what I want to do? I want to get off my phone, out of my home, and into service. Because one of the ways we engage culture was well, you could not buy tickets to a lineup like Justin Bieber, Chance the Rapper, Jaden Smith, Tori Care, all these artists we had coming in. You can't, we said, no, we're not selling tickets. We don't even take up offerings at anything we do. We said the only way that you could access the stadium is by serving a minimum of four hours to where you got a wristband and that wristband got you in the stadium. Nobody was exempt. I mean, I remember watching every TikTok influencers, the D'Amelios coming out, Kylie Jenner, sports stars uh, coming out, uh, people sending people to, to serve in their set just to get these uh, wristbands. And that's how we filled the stadium. It was built off of the influence of some of these uh, voices and pulled people onto the campuses of local churches where the model that we've always had is the found serving the lost. Now we've got a model where the lost and found are serving together. And they're having peer-to-peer, shoulder-to-shoulder evangelism going on. The church is mapped in their mind. We're pointing to a stadium. They've had an experience with the local church. They have an encounter with Jesus in the stadium. And now we get to point them back to a local church that they can do service in 30 days later. And that's the same play we're running in Houston. Even though he didn't give the message, he helped bring the draw. But then he had his pastor actually get up and give a gospel presentation. So Bieber sat on the stage in front of a full COVID filled capacity, COVID capacity filled stadium and listened to the message that his own pastor gave. And I'm watching influencers in the day cry their eyes out. I'm watching. I've Doug, I have never seen a more multi-motivated audience in my life. And I've preached in stadiums, conferences, services. I travel a lot. And I've never seen that. It was sacred. It was special. Why don't you give us information how they, because it'll look different in Houston, obviously, but you've had a lot of groundwork already happening. There's a lot of momentum and we have the date set, as you mentioned. Give us information how people can find out more about One Day Houston and how they can become engaged. We want everyone to be a part of this. This is an all call. Whether you live in Houston or you're listening from another nation, Fly in, be a part of this, see the framework, take it back, produce it where you're from. But go to lovehasnolimits.com, lovehasnolimits.com, or you can go to onedayhouston.com. But Love Has No Limits is the framework that we're working with. And this is going to be able to show you how you can activate whether you want to bring your church, you want to bring your small group, you want to bring just you. And there's multiple ways to get involved, whether that's if you're in Houston, you can become a search center, have distribution and aid delivered out of your church campus to your community. 
We can mobilize missionaries and volunteers to be on your campus. So the manpower is going to be felt and your people around your church are going to be loved on and cared for. And those needs are going to be met. You can also mobilize a team and go serve at a local church. And again, this is part of what grace and, and skill set and leadership's on that church. I want it on mine. And so go stand in this moment, be on their campus or get involved by sharing about it, telling people, maximizing all of it. We really, really see this as a historic moment for America in Houston. You can become a serve center. You can mobilize a team um, and activate yourself to be a part of what's taking place right here uh, in Houston, Texas. That's awesome. And because it's a smaller venue, you have it for two nights because there's so many people that are coming. Sure, people want to find out more to go to the websites and we'll have that also on the show notes and get more involved with One Day Houston because whatever happens in Houston, we believe because it's the most diverse city in America, international city will impact nations from this place. So make sure you pray into it and participate. So Chris, close us in prayer and just pray for God's destiny to happen in individual lives as well as corporately. Absolutely. Lord, we are so humbled that we get to be a part of this season of ministry and kingdom-focused initiatives. Father, I pray for a maximized effort to come on every person listening. Lord, force multiply every word, every message, every conversation, every counseling session, every small group, every outreach, every missions trip. God, Lord, double, triple the harvest off of their efforts. Lord, I pray over every person listening, Lord, that you are watching over them. Lord, I declare your provision. I speak to the atmosphere around their life. Lord, I say that they are full of faith. They are full of hope. They are full of peace. They're full of joy. I come against every limit, every restriction, every barrier, every demonic harassment I say is broken right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for Houston. We have staked claim after claim after claim, generation after generation, voice of father and mother in the spirit, in the church, Lord, has said Houston is absolutely significant, not just to America, but to the world. And so we're asking that you would punch a hole in the roof of Houston, and Lord, you would invade into every school, Lord, you would invade into every business, you would invade into every family, Lord, that you would invade into every church, bring a fresh wind of strength and vision, Lord, we're thanking you for a great harvest, millions and millions of souls to come into the kingdom of God as a result of your churches uniting. We thank you for this, Lord, in advance. We honor you with our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're so humble for it. We're believing for it in Jesus' name. Amen.